Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Welcome everybody to another recorded filmed version of Investing Insights with Right Property Book. Book. Right Property Group, even. You think I'd know how to say that I think you've had too many coffees. Do you know what? I've had about four this morning and I am wigging out. The mind is going quicker than the mouth. Can I suggest Red Bull? It'll be better. Do you know what? I've never been able to drink it. All that or the mothers, proudly not sponsored by. <laughs> it's, uh, it's too sugary. Too sweet. Yeah, right. It, um, anyway, we're back. Vic, it seems like it's been forever since we've been back in the, the filming studio. That's right. I think we, we had to postpone the last one because uh, I was sick. Uh, you were and sick. And then, then there were school holidays then after that. Yeah. Yeah. There's always something. But anyway, we're back today. And a hell of a lot of happened since the last time we're in here but this is just more of a continuation on of our normal podcast it's mm-hmm. just that uh, phil tarrant esquire is not here so you know obviously the talent's in the room but yeah uh, you know well, he gets yeah. lazy yeah he has to have a bit of a lay down he has to you know, sort of get the servants to horse and carriage <laughs> to take him away get his chico rolls chico, expensive chico rolls isn't it funny how that we get to put mud on him when he's not here because we get a word in that's it that's it. Because he controls the buttons when it's yep. all three of us, so he has the power. But today's not here. Anyway, a lot has happened, Vic. It, um, it's such an evolving environment to which we are living, whether it be geopolitical, uh, physically, factual. Uh, there is a lot of moving mm-hmm. parts, as we always talk about, probably more so than I've ever ex- experienced in the 22-odd years that we've been doing this, albeit there are different trigger points as we've as we've mentioned, um, the results are pretty yeah, yeah. The, the, the similar on some circumstances yep. or points and very dissimilar on others. Mm. And I guess that's what we're going to be talking about today. Mm. Um, the, the psychology of it is still the same, right? So um, one of the things that um, as I was driving in today, I was just, um, it, when you drive, it gives you some time to yourself and you're able to think. Um, abstract thoughts sometimes and sometimes very pertinent thoughts. <coughs> and one of the things that um, I've um, come up with is that when you look at what's happening in the market right now, a lot of these advisors, a lot of these um, um, gurus out there, a lot of these uh, economists out there haven't actually seen this change before. Most advisors are product of a boom market and they haven't done what we've done. So if you look at what's happening in terms of um, the property industry, buyer's agency, property strategies, that, that became a thing probably about, really, about seven, eight years ago. We've been around for 20 odd years, and we've seen quite a few changes, both in terms of information, how information is transferred, but importantly, how the market changes but the, the, the metrics behind it, the psychology behind it always remains the same. So we know how to tack when things like that happen based on previous experience. It's an interesting thing that you say there and I think very important, the psychology mm. behind the market because as humans we tend to get caught up or maybe we don't in certain times and that is media driven. Yep. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm not going down the path of fake news and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but the media is, is helps shape the narrative between our ears. And as a result of that, we then take steps accordingly, whether you know, it's to buy, to sell, to hold, to you know, drive a car at 100 miles an hour, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, we're very easily led ultimately. And because it's of the negative news. Yeah, and negative is so much easier to digest uh, than the positive mm. news. And yeah, as we've talked about before, if it bleeds, it leads yep. in the journalism world. Um, but the psychology behind the market, if we relate that to now, is such a big part of it. And you mm. could even extrapolate that a little further and talk about the wealth effect. So that's how wealthy people feel. It's a combination of, uh, say, their homes or their assets, or their job security and the like. And it, we're in a very interesting time at the moment where the wealth effect shouldn't be happening as we know it. With higher interest rates, mm-hmm. negative media, um, really nothing good happening in the world. So that wealth effect between our ears should be disintegrating at a rapid pace. And it's not. Mm. 
especially in Australia, yes, consumer confidence is down, but the wealth effect is there because of the growth that the the assets have had over the last few years. But also because the 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 components in behind it, meaning the equity position in front of our mortgages, strong jobs, what real wage growth, so they say, uh, and the like. So people are still very, very confident. That's why we're not getting perhaps the results at this point that what some forecasters are talking about. But nonetheless, that's part of today's subject, Vic. And we were, we were having a, a bite to eat before we were doing this podcast. And we we're talking, what would be a really interesting subject today? Because there is a lot of negative stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, to be fair, there is some positive media out there, or there are some positive components, I guess. So what we decided to talk about today were the five mistakes that the everyday investor either are or they're going to make in today's environment. Yep, the key being today's environment. Correct. Now, it's obviously a very general statement. Not everybody is going to make these mistakes, but what we have seen via the dozen or so cycles and probably three large cycles equivalent to – sorry, large downward cycles Mm -hmm. or crises – uh, equivalent to what we're experiencing today. These mistakes that we're going to talk about today are the ones that we see being repeated every single time. And it's predictable. It's predictable as anything that people react that way. because um, And I guess it's more amplified right now because of the way, like I said, we transfer information. It's instantaneous as opposed to, say, even something as, as um, uh, recent as the GFC where social media wasn't as prevalent and therefore the information transfer wasn't instantaneous. We still relied on tallies, uh, newspaper, uh, and the likes. So now it's in your palm. You, you find out about literally within seconds of it happening. And we have talked about this for years, saying that the information or the, tr- the transfer of knowledge and information in such an immediate fashion will have a cause and effect mm. To markets, whatever the asset class is, and yeah, you know, we've given examples. Take Bitcoin or crypto, uh, take property to some degree, or shares, or what you know, fine art, good wine, whatever it may be. Everything is instant. Yep. Um, but also in combination, that everybody generally is far more entrepreneurial today than what they were back when we first started. Mm-hmm. Now everybody has the ability to be entrepreneurial as opposed to back then, but that's that transfer of information in, in such a quick fashion that can really change markets, but more importantly can change consumer sentiment, which then drives the market, or creates so. the trend, which is then the market. So let's get into a bit. Five mistakes that the everyday investor will or are making today mm-hmm. uh, in the environment that we have. And the first one, which I can already see happening, Vic, it's – Chasing the yield at the sacrifice of quality. Yep. And th- th- this is literally the same uh, mechanism, let's call it, mm. in its infancy that happens as markets start to change toward the negative. Yeah, now, whether that, the negative be factual or whether it be uh, media-driven, but it's certainly tied very closely to what the cost of money, so therefore interest rates are doing. So people just start to say, well, you know what, I still want to invest – I want this positive cash flow holy grail or I want the ability to be able to control the property for a long period of time and the biggest hurdle or handbrake that I have is going to be the cost of money, so I'll chase high yield. I'll find out wherever it is. But a lot of the time people are doing that at the sacrifice of quality, so it becomes investment stock or as opposed to investment grade. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's only natural that people... Um, that are not informed and not prepared for this cycle start chasing that because they're, they're thinking on two levels, right? First of all, it is, okay, how can I hold on? And I need to buy uh, because that's part of my plan. So I need to buy. And uh, secondly, uh, they're saying that, okay, if I buy a high yielding property, it'll help improve my borrowing capacity, which will then allow me to get another property. So they get caught up in the numbers as opposed to the result thereafter and uh, a really important thing that uh, both you and I advocate is that if you're looking for yield you create the yield rather than buying the yield that way you you won't sway away from the fundamentals so part of what we do in terms of setting up a portfolio is we park in properties in there 
in the within the portfolio that at times like this you could actually come back and create that yield position to mitigate the increased cost of your mortgages without the necessity to potentially purchase that's right so let's let's explore some of the examples of chasing the yield at the sacrifice of quality but but as a precursor to that all of the points that we're going to make today some five of them we and being very brutally honest to everybody listening we've done this yeah the, these are mistakes that Vic and I have actually done throughout our investing, investing journey. journey um in the early stages so we mm-hmm. speak I guess with some degree with authority yeah do, don't do this because it will not work it'll hurt you so let's give coming back to the point chasing yield over quality let's give some examples of that so one might be that I go to a substandard area let's call it out in the middle of nowhere uh, that happens to be enjoying a purple patch at the moment mm-hmm. and I'm getting a higher yield brackets higher risk associated with it but I might be sacrificing uh, the quality of the tenant I might be sacrificing growth or liquidity liquidity correct so we're talking what Victor's referring to there is liquidity within the market mm. so how quick can it be sold should you need to or what's the 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 volume of transactions that's the real liquidity point within the market or days on market there's many different components now let's give examples i guess so vic and i owned some uh, very subpar regional area properties for quite a few years mm-hmm. um and we've told the story before some 16% circa gross yield which is extremely attractive on paper the growth to be fair was very when you look at it as, as a percentage it was quite reasonable mm. to be fair but it was off a very low pool that's so it it's a low valued asset so yes the 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 yield was high at 16% and we've given the examples of one stove replacement was 12 weeks rent mm-hmm. um or thereabouts but also the 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 value or the growth that it gave us as a percentage was very attractive but as a as a dollar amount it wasn't and we couldn't li- really leverage off that because a lot of the lenders didn't actually want that property at a high LVR within their security. Yeah, very good point because as time goes on, so let's let's talk about some of these areas as a purple patch moment now. Some have got real good fundamentals underneath them uh, and they've they've been doing well for many years. Mm. Uh, they just haven't had the 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 spotlight on them, I guess. But yeah. there's a lot of areas out there that are doing well because of covid mm. as an example and i guess that's the litmus litmus test isn't Correct. it correct yeah. it uh and there'll be a point in time where lending on those particular assets will become much harder than what it is today and in terms of where the general lending environment mm. is as well and when that happens the rate of growth reduces dramatically because people don't have the ability even if they have the intent they don't have the ability to fund the purchase and therefore you see a contraction correct, in price correct a, a variant of this scenario is people um automatically gravitating towards cheaper properties within the portfolio so they can qualify for say you know making these numbers up $800,000 as a as a purchase price but they say no no I only want to spend 500 because the rates are going up um it's within my comfort zone so in reality they are shortchanging themselves because should i nearly get 3 for the price of yeah one? exactly um usually as you compromise on price you're also compromising on demographics yeah generally mm-hmm. speaking and just to i guess we also want to highlight that we love cash flow as a as an investor ultimately we're looking for a combination of cash flow and growth so we're not saying that people shouldn't be searching for good cash flowed properties whatever that means to them we're just saying don't start to go out and sacrifice the quality or the potential growth of the asset for today's cash flow yeah don't change what you're doing adjust what you're doing yeah and there will be areas that will ebb and flow in terms of what their cash flow position are in in some of these emerging areas uh is probably a, a good way to look at it uh and i can think of quite a few investors that you see via different articles that are going to some of these areas and i won't mention them um in a public environment like this uh but there are some areas where i would not put my money mm. 
or they get into funky schemes where you know the rents are amplified. Um, there's a rebate of some sort. Well, that's a good example, Vic. So we're not actually, yeah, that's a really good example. So not just the quality of the asset in Hicksville, but it might be the the elaborate funkiness mm-hmm. of the of the asset type. Yep. So that, yeah, bed renting or some of the government incentivized schemes. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can Google the hell out of them and you'll find, you'll know what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, they, they may be good for a period of time until. Yeah. And it's always that until. That's that inflection point mm-hmm. where you start to go, holy, I should not have potentially done this. And has my money worked best for me over that period of time as opposed to being in a, maybe it's a different asset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the key uh, takeaway for this point is that your money needs to be working best for you. So it's not not you know being transactional; it's being very deliberate in terms of how you use the money, where you use it, and keeping it in line with your end goal, but adjusting it for the time today. So in other words, you're not whacking on a granny flat on your on your property by squeezing it on and it doesn't actually flow, mm. um, it, it, just for the sake of it working out on paper, it needs to work out in real life. Yeah, so something that looks like a shipping container with walkway access mm-hmm. and opening each other's windows might be a great <laughs> example of that. It, um, But I think, once again, the, the relationship with your cash flow needs to run parallel to your relationship with the debt. Yes. Very important. Because ultimately, the debt is a relationship mm-hmm. rather than the property purchase is transactional. And you need to marry the two up. Now, that might sound a little deep, uh, but believe me. That's, that's how it rolls. That's how it is. All right, that's point number one. Point number two, Vic, thinking that the cost of money, therefore the rate, is everything. Yeah. Especially in today's environment. Being in, you know, uh, caught up in the instant news of today. That's what it is, right? So um, one of the things that people haven't taken into account is sort of slip. You know, under the radar, is that the big four have actually progressively started to reduce their fixed rates, the four-year fixed rates. That's got to tell you something. It was, and I, this was so they've gone down from high fives down to uh, to six early sixes, so one point six. Yeah. yeah, so it's come down by one point six percent. So this is the four-year fixed, mm-hmm. four-year yeah. fixed rates. Um, in combination with their being extremely aggressive on new business variable rate mm-hmm. rates as well. Yep. They understand. I mean, they're in the they're in the business of lending money. That's their and they're trying to play the money markets in the future, not the futures, but the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have the same informations that you know well versed people would have. It becomes an educated guess. Yes, at yep. the end of the day, that's right. Uh, but the cost of money, I mean, look, that does have a physical effect on our hip pocket mm-hmm. and, our, and our household budgets. But it is usually the flow of credit that is the pivotal point as opposed to the cost of money within reason. And mm. there's, you know, I give examples sometimes of you know, back in the day where I went from 7 to 9%, but properties doubled in 12 months. Mm. Like 12 months. Will it happen again? No. Uh, but it was a moment in time. But nonetheless, the flow of credit was probably too easy, hence the 12 months doubling yep. of properties. Yep. And maybe a better analogy, we were talking uh, off air a little earlier on how Fuel, the price of yes. fuel has come down and what we get used to very, very quickly. So go back to early July where in Sydney I was paying $2.30 plus a litre for diesel uh, to run the vehicles. And today I think I paid 2.09, so $2.09. And I was doing cartwheels. Like I thought, wow, what a bargain. Mm-hmm. Four, five, six months prior to that I was paying $1.40. But how quickly I became used to the higher prices and then they gave a little back and it was like, well, this is... Yeah, short memories. This is huge. Now, if we use the interest rates as, a, as an example of that, you go back to April, May 2019 where the consumer rate to us was about 4.5% for interest mm-hmm. only uh, and we thought that was beautiful. Then we have emergency methods, measures uh, because of COVID which dropped the, the cash rate to record lows, which we became very used to. Very quickly. Very quickly. And then they went back up to... Still not back to normal. But they're not back to... If I look at one of my rates, it's not back to what I was happy with in 2019. Mm -hmm. But let's say it is. 
Um, and even just there's a little bit of me who's been doing this for a long time saying, well, this sucks. Yeah. But if they, but then you bring up the point where they dropped the fixed rates for four years to 4.89, I think mm-hmm. it was, or something like that. Suddenly that seems like a bargain. Well, we were turning cartwheels, uh, you know, about six, seven years ago when we had 4.99s. And we took a heap of it. Yep. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's, uh, ironically, that stay, that's uh, well, actually that same, some of those 4.99s, which I'm rolling out of now, <laughs> ironically enough, I'm going into a variable rate with a different lender at slightly below that. So mm-hmm. I've missed that enormously yep. beautiful time of high twos. Mm. Um, but once again, I'm going into the envi- going into a rate environment now, which I still think is extremely healthy because this is the norm. That's it. Like we're we're not even back to historical averages yet. No, five point so, five is a historical average. Yeah, between four point five to five point five is where it lies. Yeah, and look whether those data points will change over time. Um, of course, they will, but not by two or three percent in terms mm. of the averages. So it's. We're, we're getting into a normalised period now. And I think that's what the, the point that the media is missing. It's we've come off emergency measures. Yeah. Like, let's put stuff into context here. Mm. Yes, it hurts in that first stage of uh, very harsh increasing at a rate of not interest rates. Fastest increase in many, many in years. History, they yeah. think it is. Um, and that's just a bit of a shock to the mm. to the system, yeah? Um but we get back into a rhythm, don't we? We'll get back into the rhythm. That's the point. Just like we have with fuel at the higher price. Yep. You know, it is, we'll get back into it. That will be the new norm. We'll rationalise it. We'll be used to it and we will jog on. And then there'll be a 0.3 decrease and we'll turn cartwheels at that point. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And so the cycle, the psychological cycle, yeah. starts to you know, do its revolution again. But the rate, whilst it is important, it is not everything. And those no. that shop rate at the sacrifice of uh, fluidness around credit are doing a disservice to themselves. Yeah, so let, let's take an example, right? So you, you, let's say the big four gives you um, a mortgage with a low rate in comparison of, say, 500K. Whereas if you went to a second-tier lender, your rate is about half a percent more, yet you're getting, for the same financials, 800K. It gets you into a bigger buying pool. It gets you into a better transaction, depending on what you can get. Uh, and, and importantly, you've, you are, you're now no longer rate sensitive. You're now money sensitive. In other, in other words, how best can you leverage the money that you've already got? Yeah. And as you were saying that, I'm thinking liquidity. Yeah. Because if I, if I have the ability with lender 37, mm that will give me money at a slightly higher rate. But more money. But more money, and I'll draw it down and I'll park it back into, into itself, not therefore costing me anything, but I have liquidity. Yeah. I have opportunity, and it's not really costing me anything for the privilege. Mm. Now, disclaimer, not giving any financial advice, speak to the experts around in and around finance, um, because everyone's different. Yeah, Some, sometimes, uh, Steve, one, one of the things that you look at, right, a 500K property, could be costing exactly the same as an 800K or million dollar property, depending on how the numbers work, which area you've bought, how it works for you in your own personal circumstances, and you know what your plan is for the property and how it fits in within the portfolio. That's an extremely good and important point, what the plan is for the particular property. So let's, let's explore that a little bit. Imagine that the portfolio needed, I don't know, a larger block of land that we wanted to retain and build or create a secondary income stream off it or whatever it may be, just as an example. And the broker gives you uh, lender one, which has a sharp rate, on the surface a pretty good product um, in terms of its fees and charges. However, that lender doesn't have the appetite for that type of property or opportunity when it's time to pull the trigger on the construction yeah as an example so then it's a full rework Mm -hmm. and depending on the time frame if it's if it's a 10-year plan for that particular property well it doesn't really matter but if it's something that you wanted to do in the short to medium term well it it really needs to be looked at in terms of well is this the right lender for this particular opportunity and if it means that i've got to go to lender four that might not be as attractive on the surface in and around its product but my god it gives me the flexibility and it does have have an appetite for that type of opportunity well it would just make 
sense absolutely does yeah so what what we're trying to say is that the product and the flexibility of the product is more important than the rate correct match the product to the opportunity not the other way around yeah all right point 3 which kind of goes hand in hand with uh, the second one thinking that rate is everything and that is they're not protecting their serviceability mm. now this is th- your serviceability is the key to the kingdom i guess is a way to look at it and when people are either forced into a consolidation fa- uh, period or perhaps they want to go into that consolidation phase they tend to then utilize that surplus cash flow from the household budget on depreciating debt mm-hmm. uh, bad debt you know, cars boats whatever it may be experiences and that really credit cards and that starts to er- erode what the overall serviceability piece is and unfortunately the time that they realize this when they want to re-enter the market or perhaps it's even to enter in for the first time is that the horse is bolted it's too late yep suddenly you've got this non-productive debt which you need to get rid of which takes time mm. and often that time piece the products have changed again we're into a new environment a new cycle in and around money or the the market whatever the asset is to you you've and, lost momentum and you've lost you've lost momentum and it, it, even whether it be physically or mentally just saying well this is all too hard um but it's especially i believe dangerous for the people that have already got a few assets 1 5 10 100 whatever it may be that they've had a pretty good equity run of late and that they're drawing down equity for the wrong reasons mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and and um whilst this is uh something that you need to check with your accountants because we don't give financial advice one of the things that uh, that's happening in today's market with uh, the uh, way employers are trying to attract quality employees is throw in the odd novated lease to say hey you come join us here's your salary but we'll throw in a car so that you don't have to pay so much tax um and it'll be a novated lease we'll pay some you pay some uh the lease will be in your name uh and guess what we'll give you a bmw right so you know you're rubbing your hands saying i'm getting a beamer not a bentley uh, not a bentley <laughs> a beamer and um um what it really does is uh, absolutely kill your borrowing capacity so if you've got plans within your portfolio or even if you've got plans to upgrade your principal place of residence or even purchase your principal place of residence you need to look at a, uh, take a very long hard look at how you derive your pay how your money flows what entities you're setting up and what debt you're getting into yeah good point so really check with your accountant because yeah. we can't give you that advice but it um it's well worth the conversation but i think with the with the serviceability piece because we're into a higher interest rate environment clearly that's eroding overall serviceability mm-hmm. so the more you spend non-productive debt the more it's going to take away from your overall, overall serviceability yeah piece i guess um, so don't load up on the credit cards don't load load up on novated leases mm-hmm. or personal loans whatever it may be um you are going to hurt yourself and it'll all happen very quickly that's right and and don't wait for the market to come down so you can jump in because your serviceability will erode a lot faster than the price is actually coming down yeah great point and the time it goes the other way around you're starting to chase the market as opposed to making the market mm-hmm. which is important interesting point though on in and around serviceability but not here in australia Vic. um the uk uh all but making a decision on taking away the 3% serviceability buffer on top of rates yeah that's huge so essentially what that means is there's no dollar for dollar yeah it's dollar for dollar there's no mm. buffer on the on the actual rate mm. so responsible borrowing comes to the forefront yeah but is it like because i mean yes it is of course it is but if we if we if we look at it though so let's imagine that the rate is 4.75% then the bank's buffer is 3% taking it to nearly 8% mm-hmm. that they're doing their serviceability calcs on you if they see if they make a call that the market is the money market is almost capped out and they remove the buffer could that fuel 
the asset class or could that give it a flaw? Look, uh, it, it initially, it will absolutely fuel the market, right? Because all of a sudden, instead of being able to borrow 700, you're able to borrow a million. Yep. So you're able to get into the market, you can get into your dream home. Where the flaw will be is what happens when the rates go up, right? So will the bank do a, a quasi margin call to say, hey, prove your income, prove that you can still hold this loan? Because the banks also have got some rules and regulations to abide by. Mm. And uh, that, that that becomes a flaw in effect. So the, yeah, the margin calls, particularly if you're running a business as an example, you may have to prove your income that you're still as profitable. You've got this certain margin uh, to hold on to your portfolio. So it becomes more commercially orientated lending mm. as opposed to residential. Residential. Now, should, there were there was some this, there was some commentary in and around Australia's market with what's happening in the UK or potentially happening in the UK, and people saying, "Will APRA go down that path? Will they remove the buffering uh, quantity?" Yep from residential lending? I think the answer is no. Mm. Um, I think as dare, as much as I don't like to say it, the handbrakes that they applied yesteryear have held us in a potentially a good and bad position today. Mm-hmm. Bad for tenants, probably good for uh, borrowing in terms of the responsible debt that is out there. Yep. And even go back further to 2003, I think, with the abolishment or, or, or thereabouts of the low docks. Yeah. The low dock loans. Um, will they will they remove all buffering? No. Will they adjust it? Maybe. Mm. Maybe they'll knock fifty basis points off, or, or whatever it may be, because there will need to be the capacity to borrow. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's got a flow on effect into the economy as well. Yeah, and huge. and and the reality is that the interest rate rises. The un unintended consequence is a property slowdown. They're trying to slow down the economy, not the property area. Mm, because it, it, retail spending is still quite strong. Mm. It's yeah, you know, they don't want to crash a market. They 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 just don't. There's too much. There is too much involved within the market. It is so vertically integrated from pillar to post. Yeah. That and there's already enough headwinds around construction. Interesting point. Mm-hmm. Five hundred, uh, according to ASIC, five hundred builders or construction companies in the last corn in the last quarter went to the wall. Voluntary, That's immense. Yeah, voluntary uh, administration or liquidation. That's huge. So if, let's say, each each builder was only doing 10 properties. That's huge. That's huge. 5,000 They reckon this quarter will be worse mm. because the data is lagging as it yep. always does. That's a huge effect mm. to the entire uh, accommodation industry, let's call it. Yep. Uh, but not even just for that, like even for the homeowner, mm. those people that are halfway under construction or pay, uh, paid their you know, their initial contributions to the construction. And, you know, that one big builder that we all know of that is yep. just laid off a lot of staff in Sydney and... In Queensland. And Queensland, yeah. It's, mm. um, it's, a, it's a very fickle... That's right. See, when you hear these sort of news of builders going bust... Um, the, the market substantially changing, therefore, uh, it's a big oh moment, mm. opportunity, right? Because you've got to set aside the news. I'm glad you said that. I didn't think that's where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got to set aside the news of instant, right? And see what the flow and effect is from a property investor point of view. This is where we're already in an in a accommodation crisis. There's 500-odd builders that potentially are doing 10 houses that I can't do them now. So there's 5,000 out of the pool. Mm. And, and most of these builders are metropolitan builders mm. to begin with. <clears throat> so you, you, have, you have this um, knock-on effect, knock on effect yeah. where it makes sense if it is within your means to capture good properties in good rental demand areas in the metropolitan areas where you will benefit from this flow and effect because rents will go to a premium. Uh, prices will go for established properties will go to a premium because no one would want to take a risk of of building with builders that they don't really know are going to be around for the next couple of years. After that, it'll turn around, obviously. But uh, this is where uh, you need to take a long, hard look within your portfolio to say, with all of this negative news, with all of these moving parts, how can I maximize this as an opportunity for myself? Yeah, are you the con- contrarian investor, hmm. I guess? And we'll get to that a little bit later, but... Just a little bit more on the construction, though. If I think about that, 
the cost of construction will have to increase to supply and demand, but also simple things like insurance. Yeah. The construction insurance industry, for want of a better mm. terminology, are going to hike their premiums. Yeah, absolutely. So w- one of the things, like I, I'm doing a major construction at the moment in my portfolio, and uh, the lender has required me to take out a extra insurance, which is the contractor's insurance, just in case my builder goes bust. So that's an like added a, cost. It's a bit like LMI. Yeah, exactly. For the lender, yeah. it's um, but it's, and then you, if you look at if you if we just extrapolate that a little further in and around construction, where we've got visa applications up some thirty to forty percent, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before, so we won't go into that again. Um, we have the national vacancy rate now for July at point nine. Point. That's very tight. Nine. So. That, clearly means there are some areas a little higher and there are some areas mm-hmm. a little lower. And then if you dig deeper, there'll be some, but there are some suburbs in Perth with one dwelling for rent, yeah. as an example. Um, so if you're just exploring that point nine, so 3% being equilibrium, mm. right? That means that across the nation, there are hardly enough properties for rent. So what does it mean? For every thousand investment properties, there's nine for rent. Correct. If my maths is no, correct. no, no, hundred every hundred. So it's crazy, yeah. like absolutely mm. diabolical numbers. And just to go back a couple of, I think it was podcasts or Facebook lives that we did uh, to reiterate, stress the point of how important in and around getting your properties to market rent, mm-hmm. because there are state legislative changes on the way for sure. For yeah. sure. We're getting into a crisis, so the governments, the authorities will step in to protect the tenants, in inverted commas, um, yet the flow-on effect will be that the rents will go up because yeah. the landlords would have to then counteract that. Do you know what it, it is? Nine, just checking with my mm-hmm. iPhone calculator. See, you made me double-guess myself, 100. I thought, <laughs> no, that can't be right. It's um, not that I wasn't listening or anything. It, but coming back to what the government, the state governments are going to do, they, at this point in time, for any ministers out there listening, because we know you all do, <laughs> I'll just have the smile on my face as if, but they should consult certain uh, consortiums, certain councils, so industry councils, uh, not local councils, around what is the best way forward for this. Don't mm-hmm. do these knee-jerk reactions which will potentially buy you a small amount of votes or get a pat on the back from a very small cohort of people, but to punish the greater yep. uh, volume of people in your own areas. Don't take a bureaucratic approach. I, I tell you what, if they were business owners, they wouldn't, they'd be... They'd be bust. Yeah, they'd be broke. They work for private industry. They'd be sacked. Sorry. Complaints, 1-800-STEVE. Yeah, again, high horse soapbox <laughs> moment. Now, it just kills me because it's not for the community. It really, really isn't. They are punishing the very same people that they're trying to to help. But we digress. So not protecting not protecting your serviceability, um, which is the key to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So do it now before you need it. And that, that includes restructuring mortgages, right? Correct. Now. So going back to interest only, right? Now, a, a lot of people say, oh, I want to pay these loans off. Now perhaps isn't the right time to go principal and interest. You might want to get your cash flow back into your own pocket. Mm. So restructure your mortgages back to interest only. Still make the same repayments if you can, uh, if you're variable or mm. have an offset account. Uh, but it's cash that you're committing. So you want to reduce the cash commitment. Correct. And that you could also give an example in and around, say, commercial properties. Yeah, let's get the big commercial property with high net cash flow to improve serviceability. It doesn't. It just doesn't take a, as way doesn't take away as much, mm-hmm. which could also tie into point one in and around chasing yield at the sacrifice of quality. quality. Now, we're not against commercial. We do commercial, but we, as we've mentioned before, we just don't believe that it's for everybody because it's not that yeah. easy. Um, and that's probably all I'll say about that. That's a different conversation. All right, point number four, Vic. Thinking that you will time the general market. Now, this is a... If your strategy is all in and around timing a market, it's a flawed strategy, Mm -hmm. firstly. Secondly, when the media, as we know, talk about the market, it's a general approach because it has to be. They don't have the time to to go into the the different elements and complexities around each and every single 15,000 suburb markets, as an example. But the general market probably doesn't look very healthy. No. 
But if so, if you're trying to time, I guess what the major, um, the major population is doing, the sentiment, the sentiment, that's a flawed strategy because within that, there are markets even today which are still going up. Mm. There are markets where. Or maybe a better way to put it, the best markets of tomorrow are probably flat today. Yeah, absolutely. It comes back to fundamentals. It comes back again, like we keep saying, how it fits in to you to the bigger picture, your bigger picture. Absolutely. And the whole timing scenario, whilst it's important in theory, it's 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 about getting in when you mm. can. Yep. Because it is long term. But what will drive some of these, I guess, moments within the market and the thing that I guess reaches out into my mind is during the GFC, I remember we were getting sort of circa 5% yields, even 6% yields in say Sydney. Yep. Sydney. Sydney. Yes. <laughs> Sydney. <laughs> it, uh, Sydney where that was just about unheard of. Mm-hmm. And it was at around about the 5% mark gross yield. It was like a trigger for investors to flock back into the market yep. because that was just a psychological bang. Let's do it. Mm. I'm not just Sydney, but there are clearly markets throughout the country which are getting 5% or better now, yeah? But when you talk about, say, the two biggest markets, which is Sydney and Melbourne, 5% yields are... uh, Rare. Yeah, very rare. It's like a holy grail Mm -hmm. sort of component on the purchase price at that moment in time. So it won't be long before you see those in Sydney and Melbourne now. You can Mm -hmm. actually, if you look hard enough, you can find them in and around the attached dwellings, which, side note, rebound like we said yep. they would um maybe we'll do a podcast on that next time but once we start to see these little trigger points we don't want to wait for the trigger to be pulled we want to be ahead of the trigger mm. because that's where the choice is that's where the best choice is before the rest of the market get in i'm not saying that you should buy in sydney today or melbourne tomorrow or whatever it may be i'm just saying look at those components because trying to time the general market you will leave opportunity absolutely you, you. you have to ride the wave up right and it, it means that if you take a surfing analogy you've got to wait wait for a few waves to get the right wave to ride it right so that doesn't mean that um, you know you, you you're not out in there in the water you got to be out there in the water in other words ready to ready to purchase uh, to catch the right wave and the right wave is determined by your skill set you know you <laughs> you could write a book about that I know, right? <laughs> I know where you're going with that. Uh, he's a friend of ours. Yeah, send, send us an email, mate, if you hear this. <laughs> That's what's that making me laugh, but also just the picture of you, me visualizing you on a surfboard. Yeah, just uh, the, the, the in-house joke here is that I actually get seasick in my bathtub, so... But that's not what we're laughing at. We're laughing anyway. Some people will get what we're talking about. It's, um, all right. So thinking that you're going to time the general market, mm-hmm. bad, flawed strategy. Um, but also, you don't want to be trying to catch a falling knife. Yeah. At yeah. all. All right. The fifth point, um, and it's an expression that clearly not a lot of people know about. I thought you knew about it, but it's embrace the suck. So, in other words, embrace the change. I know. That's the first time I heard that phrase um, uh, it, when, when uh, Steve brought it up just before we went on air. Yeah. Uh, it embrace was like, the it, suck. What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> so, what it really means is there is opportunity in change. Mm-hmm. And we, clearly, we have changing times, changing markets. Uh, some things aren't changing as quickly as what we thought they were. I'm yep. talking about, say, COVID, mm. record cases in the country at the moment, as an example. So, we're well and truly a long way from that being a thing of the past. Yeah, but it's not no longer news. It's no, isn't it? Bizarre, yeah. right? It um, So embrace the suck is embrace the change mm-hmm. because in change there is opportunity. It doesn't mean for everybody and it doesn't mean every day, but it is there. And I would rather be prepared for the opportunity and not have the opportunity than trying to get prepared when the opportunity yep. presents itself. So enjoy it. It's, uh, it is a time of change. And mm. when you have these moments of flux... There are those that exit stage left and there are those that come onto the stage. Yeah, yep. and and change brings, like we keep saying, opportunity. So long as you're prepared and you understand the metrics behind the change and how you can benefit from it 
based on your own scenario, right? So uh, just because we're saying that you've got to buy, as an example, you know, buy units because they're starting to bounce, doesn't mean it makes sense within your portfolio. It doesn't mean it makes sense for you. Uh, whereas for others, it may be the first foothold into the property market because that's all that you've got in terms of deposit and capacity. And you've seen prices contract. So mm. now you do have maybe the affordability piece yep. to get in. Probably not because the serviceability has come down, but who knows, everybody's a, a little different. But it's not just about purchasing. The, the change might be uh, the result of everything that is going on now and over the last couple of years has left, left us in a crisis in and around accommodation as we know. So if you're a, a landlord, your rents up mm -hmm. there's a positive bit of change for you you might not owe anything so it's all surplus cash flow or you might owe something and now you're doing more of a cushioning effect to what you already have but embrace it change is good because if it wasn't if, if we didn't have change then everybody would do it yeah absolutely and if everybody did it mm. we couldn't do it as investors mm. so it's True. quite simple so there they are Vic the five mistakes that most people will make. And we, once again, we see this every major crisis. So in any market. And we have been victim. Yeah. Not victim. It's our own fault. We've done the, we've, we've done these points. We've made these mistakes. Uh, so we speak with some authority saying, look, mm. listen to us. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, back then. <laughs> back yeah, then. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been guilty of not putting rents up. Probably am a little bit now. Mm-hmm. In, in some circumstances, uh, trying to time the market in the early days and run on the wave of consumer sentiment. Been there, done mm. that. I know you have because we both did it at the same time. Not protecting my serviceability in the early days yep. because I didn't have to because of the low doc loan, but when they got rid of that, then suddenly serviceability was mm. and, and it took, legitimately, took a while. Yeah. Yeah, legitimate yeah. serviceability. It, it took a while to clean up the, uh, the scenario to be able to then qualify for finance. It took years. Mm. Like literally, you had to change structures and you, know, you had to be that deliberate and yep. so should everybody today with good advice around them from accountants and brokers and, and what have you. Um, thinking that rate was everything. I think everybody has been guilty of that and to some degree we still are. Mm. Yeah, if there's a full one percentage point difference. You've got to think long and hard, right? Because yeah, well there's still cash flow. Yeah, what, what's more important, the, yeah. the flexibility or, or the rate? So yep. we get that. There is that grey area where we need to make a, a solid informed decision and chasing yield at the sacrifice where well, we gave you of quality we gave you the example so we're, we're both guilty mm. of that yeah you, you'd rather create the yield than buy the yield oh, i like that create the yield than buy the yield mm. and that comes with very careful planning pre-planning the portfolio well and it's also pre-planning the finances yep you know often those good opportunities they don't stick around actually before we close too just a a bit of a a market commentary i won't say it update um, there are still some pretty solid auction results, which is usually the tempo or the barometer for the tempo of the market. I don't really buy into that, but nonetheless, the media do. So I'm just really going against what the media are saying, I guess. Um, but the, the big thing that we've noticed from the team on the ground is that the phone calls we're getting from agents, which we are now in mm -hmm. certain areas across the country, certain areas across the country, they're not ringing us up with good quality stock. No. They're no. ringing us up with the crumbs, the leftover, the stuff yeah. with warts on it. Um, and those properties, no matter where they are in the country, are struggling. That's but, right. But and th there won't be the properties that we would normally buy anyway, or we wouldn't buy, full stop. No, and actually it's a good point because often people in a FOMO market will take whatever they can. So mm. let's call it under power lines in a flood area or whatever, whatever, something with warts on it. But you should never judge a property in a boom market. Judge the property on how it will perform in a falling market. That's right. Yep, that's the important component. Um, but so the agents, uh, especially the ones that we don't, let's say, have relationships with from many, many years of transactions. Um, but those those agents, that, once again, that we don't have the relationship, they're just ringing us up with just rubbish. Mm. Uh, do you want this? Do you want that? And they are catch-a-falling-knife scenarios. But... Ironically, in the same suburbs or same localities, the good quality stock does not last on market. If it is Lies priced well, it is gone. Um, but the media can't, to their in their defence, can't report on that. I do note that you know, whether it be from CoreLogic uh, or PropTrack or some of the uh, economists around the major chains, franchise chains, 
uh, release their findings in what they think and what has happened uh, in their interpretation of the data. And some of it is actually quite legitimately correct, mm-hmm. uh, but some of it you need to open, look at it with a very broad, open mind. Yeah. So one of the things that a lot of journalists do is they grab outliers. So they look at data and say, oh, look, there's a big drop over here, so we'll make that newsworthy. Right, and and that sort of tends to take off as a trend to say, oh look, the property prices are dropping by twenty percent, thirty percent. But they're looking at outliers. They'll always be even in a buoyant market. There'll be properties that are dropping price. That's a good point because there, and let's not forget the growth that we've had. Mm. And I think it was probably before the first, maybe it was just after the first rate rise, where we said there were certain suburbs or certain localities in some of the states that we talked about that we had already after the first. Just before and after the first rate rise, we had seen drop by 10% at that stage. Yep. But from an overly cooked market, so it was a, it was a more normalising of the historical averages. It has to get back to somewhere, give or take a few percentage yep. points. So the euphoria had gone out of the market. Well, yeah. So what's the new one? I mean, we tried to coin Fongo, but no one got onto it. Now it's what is it? fear of overpaying. Yeah, fe- or, or fear, of not, uh, fear of getting in too early. Fear of getting in too early. Yeah, it, it's too many acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, but once again, just coming back to the, to the market commentary, there are still areas performing very, very well. There are some areas that are flatlining, and I still mm-hmm. think that's a good result because the choice is there should you dig hard enough. Um, and there are some areas that which you know, we're not even entertaining and probably won't for – could be anywhere from 12 months to 24 months. Yep. Um, maybe longer. But what we won't be doing is just setting and forgetting those areas. We won't be saying, oh, we'll come back to it in 12 months. We still analyse them on a micro level weekly to see if any of the trends are changing before the data becomes apparent. Yeah. By the time the data becomes apparent, it's usually too late because the media's got hold of it and you've got competition. And that's the name of the game. There it is, Vic. Five mistakes that we're all guilty of and some will continue to be guilty Mm -hmm. of. So make sure you tune in to the Facebook Lives that we do every, uh, second, Thursday. every second Thursday. Any feedback that you, you give us is very well welcomed. Um, there are people in behind the scenes that make this possible and they do appreciate the feedback, good or bad. Um, if it's bad, we want to know it. it uh, maybe we talk too quick. <laughs> maybe our subjects are irrelevant. Who knows? Um, but nonetheless, some people might like it as well. So. Mm-hmm. We've been doing it. How many seasons is this? Five, oh, four, five, five? Five, I think. This is six seasons. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. But anyway, it's good to be back in the recording studio for the film version. Vic, we will see you. Well, I'll see you in about an hour, but <laughs> we'll see everybody else in a fortnight's time. Absolutely. Take care. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.